0: Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website. Go to Dobbs.com.
1: We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on go to Dobbs.com now.
0: Happy Cinco de Mayo. This would have been the 39th birthday for our friend and our co-worker, Chris Duncan. Uh, Michelle, seeing as it is Cinco de Mayo tonight, I am going to make uh, grilled chicken tacos on the Traeger Grill.
1: Oh, that sounds amazing.
0: I'm fired up about Taco Taco Tuesday on Cinco de Mayo. It doesn't get me uh, better than this, does it?
1: You know what? It doesn't. And it really bums me out that we don't have a great patio situation today in St. Louis with everybody hanging out, having margaritas, celebrating together. But get that margarita, get your tacos, and have a Zoom. Have a a Cinco de Mayo Zoom with Uh, your friends.
0: Yeah, a Cinco de Mayo Zoom is a great idea. (laughs) So uh, that's what we're doing at the character Household tonight. And that's that's one of the great things about working in the mornings is that I can get to work at four in the afternoon and I I can make a fabulous dinner. Uh,
1: (laughs) Have you adjusted to the thought, Yet, though, Randy, that you're going to have to get up early from now till the foreseeable future.
0: Michelle, it's funny that you asked that question, (laughs) because this morning as I was making the bed, I was literally thinking to myself, this is my new normal.
1: Wait, you made your bed?
0: Oh, yeah. I make my bed right when I get up. Every day? Every day. Yep. So...
1: That's impressive, Randy. That's oh, thanks. very disciplined. I, and there. I know
0: you're a big pillow person because I think of you a, a lot when I'm throwing a million. And yeah. the, the pillows aren't my choice; they're Joan's choice. But uh, yeah, so a lot of times I'll, I'll think about the fact that you are such a big pillow person when you all over your house, right? It's not just on the bed.
1: Pillows are the quickest way to change up your house's look. You know, Mm -hmm. you can have the same bed frame, same comforter. Switch up the pillows and it feels like a new room. Yeah. But, you know, I'll say this. I had gotten into a new routine and I was making my bed. There's no chance when the alarm goes off and it's still dark outside that I'm going to make my bed. It's just not going to happen for me.
0: It, my setup is so I get up, turn on the shower and while it's warming up I make my bed quickly and then I can race into the shower.
1: So this means that your wife is up early with you because I'm assuming you're not making the bed with her in it.
0: No, uh uh-uh. uh she's at least so far. She's gotten up before me, but she likes you know, she goes and feeds the dogs and stuff, so.
1: What a trooper.
0: It's, yeah. No doubt. Hey, uh fresh take here on 101 ESPN and As we celebrate Chris Duncan's life, people talk a lot, Michelle, about appreciating what you have and enjoying the time you have on Earth. And I couldn't be more apropos than today, May 5th, on what would have been Chris's 39th birthday. And Dunk had a ton of fun while he was alive and should have had many more years. He was robbed and we were robbed of many more years uh, of Chris. He was so unfairly taken from us. But one thing I did learn from Dunk is to appreciate the time that we do have. And one night, we were doing a remote in Illinois, and we were coming back from Belleville. I had driven Chris out there. And this was after he had undergone his surgery, and he was doing fine. And as, as we're driving along, he told me just out of the blue that the— his tumor was going to come back. That was just a fact of life for him. A glioblastoma always comes back, 100% of the time. But Dunk said he was going to enjoy the time that he had, and he did. His outlook was always bright. He was always curious. He was always driven. Driven. He was always smiling and he cared about other people. And as we go through our strange lives these days, it's important to remember Dunk and the way he approached life. Regardless of what you're dealing with, take time to enjoy what you have while you're here. Dunk had an amazing impact on so many people. Today is a perfect example of that. Take a cue from Dunk and enjoy your life. Don't be depressed when there's so much great stuff to live for.
1: Agree, Randy. Beautifully said. And I know that we're living in a very tough time right now, and life is difficult for a lot of people, but it's still life. You don't get a do-over, right? And so you really should savor it while you have it. And I think for me, when I look back on the life of Chris Duncan and the impact that he had on me, he taught me a really important lesson is that you can – take things seriously without being too serious if that makes sense yes yeah he went a hundred percent at everything he did he took his craft whether it was baseball or broadcasting very seriously but he didn't let that affect his outlook on life as you mentioned he would come in he would be the brightest light in any room he had this innate ability to make you feel like you guys were friends and had known mm-hmm. one another for a long time even if you had just met him he truly was one-of-one one unique individual we actually have a t-shirt available on 101 espn.com uh, that the profits are going to go to the dunk scholarship fund but on the back of the shirt it has the dunctionary he was so unique that he even had <laughs> words that were very unique to him that all of a sudden you realized were becoming pervasive throughout st. Louis how many people now will use the term tight cheeks because they heard Chris Duncan mention it on 101 no. ESPN and it wasn't one of those things where you would hear him say it and you'd say what is he talking about you would laugh with him and it would be become part of you. And that's a, that's a rare gift. And I miss Dunk a lot.
0: And you can go to our website, 101ESPN.com, and pick up one of those Dunctionary t-shirts. They are fabulous and funny and fun. And Dunk was fabulous and funny and fun. He and his brother, Shelly, are both incredibly self-deprecating. And they talked one time on The Turn about their ability to combine their skills.
2: I should have done that because I couldn't touch a lefty. I should have been the switch hitter. There you go. Yeah. Shelly, thank platoon. That's what we should have done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we could have combined together and made one good player. There you go. <laughs> you got the lefties, Wait, we, I got, we got the righties. We'd yeah, your defense, still, though, for sure. So, yeah, so no, we still, we still speak of defense. I, I, just, I
3: destroyed the Duncan name for defense. <laughs>
0: Oh, gee, they were, uh, Chris was incredible. Shelley is, and uh, certainly our thoughts and prayers to the family. And by the way, I believe Chris's wife, Amy, is going to be in the fast lane this afternoon with Anthony and BT and uh, Chris Ranji. So uh, we'll have some more great memories of Chris's life.
1: I loved when we spoke to David Eckstein a few segments ago, and I asked him about what it was like to be. Around Papa Dunk and Chris in the same dugout together because you you listen to Shelly and Chris cut it up on the radio. We certainly would hear him with, with Papa Dunk when he was on with Anthony in the turn. And they just had such a, a light and great rapport to where they could poke at each other and make fun of one another but then they would always end it by saying I love you dad, I love you Dunk, which yeah. I thought was so special. But imagine unfiltered being in a dugout around a big group of people that you also care about that's your work family that tends to give it to each other anyway. I'm sure that was a very, very cool thing to be a part of.
0: And we're, we're going to ask Tony La Russa. He's going to join us coming up at the bottom of the hour. But one of the things I want to find out about is what he was thinking as these 8, 9, 10, 11-year-old young boys are doing running around his clubhouse and going out and taking fly balls after games were over at the Oakland Coliseum. And Tony was... he He always welcomed kids. But these weren't typical kids. They were pretty assertive in terms (laughs) of uh, their uh, they're fun, and they wanted to go out and have a good time, and they did. I want to. We'll, we'll find out from Tony what they were like as kids running around that clubhouse.
1: Yeah, when Dunk would share stories about he and Shelly growing up on the radio, uh, for lack of a better term, it seemed like they were bruisers. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. they uh, they were not quiet kids. It seemed like they were always getting into something. So I imagine they took that same approach at the ballpark.
0: Oh, they would uh, like from a uh, uh, restroom on the golf course that they lived at. Uh, you know, like a porta potty at the, go- the golf course that they lived at, and. He Houston, they were shooting a guy with a pellet gun in the butt and stuff. And they, My favorite one was when they took uh, needles that were virtually invisible, and they set them up an inch apart around a hole on a green, so people would putt, and the ball would never get to the hole. And the, the people would go crazy, what's going on here? They, they had a lot of good, creative, fun ideas.
1: I just picture them in the bushes watching this happen, laughing. And I picture someone like you, Randy, who's normally very calm and is going to putt and thinking that they're going to sink it. And then it bounces off, having a blackout rage moment.
0: Yep. It definitely would be the case. If there was a little, (laughs) especially if I knew that a a 13 or 14 year old kid had done that to me, I would be furious.
1: Would you chase him down?
0: No, I wouldn't. And eventually I would laugh about it and say, hey, that was a pretty good idea. Yeah,
1: it actually was pretty funny, pretty creative.
0: (laughs) Wish I would have thought of that one. Yeah. It's Michelle and Randy, and that's your Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman as we celebrate the life of Chris Duncan today. Today would have been uh, birthday number 39. He celebrated Cinco de Mayo like no other person. He was was a guy who could celebrate. Coming up, one of the people who really took Dunk and all of the Cardinal youngsters under their wing when he was playing was the Cardinal closer at the time, Jason Isringhausen. And Izzy will join us next to Remember Dunk on 101 ESPN. Hall of Famer Jason Isringhausen is standing by on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker. And before we get to Izzy's recollections of uh, Chris Duncan, uh, I want to talk about Maddie Isringhausen, who was in our senior spotlight last Friday, and uh, she was a delight to talk to, and she's headed to Tennessee Tech to play volleyball. And Izzy, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us, and second of all, uh, your daughter's wonderful. I hope she had a good time with us in the fast lane. She's terrific. <laughs>
3: oh, yeah, she's got you guys snowed, doesn't she? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, he's uh. It's one thing good about your kids when other people say that they're a delight. I mean, we have our moments for sure, but when other people say that she's a a delight, it makes me feel good.
1: Well, Izzy, before we get into our conversation about Chris Duncan and remembering him, how's quarantine life been for you? You mentioned your kids, but what's it been like for you to have everybody at home under one roof and, and, you know, just life when you can't really go anywhere? How has it been?
3: Uh, The quarantine, it really hasn't been that bad. It hasn't been really... That different for us, except for this homeschooling thing. Um, it's fifth grade, our fifth grade, our ten-year-old is uh, not real cooperative, to say the least, and uh, it's like herding cats. And I can't do fifth-grade math, so I'm pretty much uh, up, up, to, up the creek without the paddle, so to speak.
0: Are you like me? Could you do fifth-grade math in fifth grade? I couldn't.
3: No, I couldn't. That's why I've never got through college. I couldn't do algebra one, let alone. Uh, when when the, when the numbers become letters i start to have brain freezes yeah
0: i'm out I'm, you were the exact same way i'm out then too hey is he, <laughs> what was it like uh, because you have such a great relationship with dave Duncan, and i'm sure you were aware that the cardinals had drafted chris in the first round so when he arrives on the scene in 05 what were your impressions of chris um
3: well, we we heard of Chris, um I've heard of Chris, um, and in my leagues they had that had the big brawl and he got hit in the face with a helmet mm-hmm. at one point. And uh so you knew he's probably a, a a tough guy like his dad, so to speak. And he gets there and he didn't realise how big the kid was. I mean he mm-hmm. was, Chris was a huge human being. I mean he was probably six five probably at that time, probably two eighteen, two twenty, something like that. Um, I consider myself a fairly large guy, but he was—he towered over me and just a, a specimen of a person, the way he was built. But uh, well Just more than anything, just a bundle of joy when he came to the ballpark. He was just happy to be there and uh, made everybody laugh. And made things, he loosened things up. Wasn't that typical rookie kid who came in there scared to death. He came in there loose and having fun, and uh, it was just a joy to have him there.
1: Uh, you obviously, as you have a close relationship with Dave, and you know that he's kind of reserved, can be very serious. So were you surprised that Chris was so <laughs> gregarious and had such a big personality, considering you knew Dave?
3: It was so much fun sitting around and listening to the stories of of Dave and Shelly and Chris growing up and the fights they'd have across the, dent, uh, the kitchen table. and. And things like that, getting hit with mashed potatoes in the face or getting smacked or getting thrown over the table or something. And It was just uh, – I couldn't imagine. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall living in that house with those guys. But, yeah, like Dave was so quiet, well-deserved. And then uh, then you got Chris, who is, is far from those words. Uh, uh, just – I think just loved life. Loved the fact that he could play baseball. For a living, um, he was that guy that always, and still to these days, this kind of sounds like Brad Thompson, or you know, they're so uh, self-unassuming, you know, never gives themselves any credit for what they were able to accomplish. And um, I just remember Chris having so much power during batting practice. Um, just fun. It was just fun. One of those guys that was fun to watch during BP.
0: Jason Isringhausen with us on one oh one ESPN and Izzy, you were one of the guys on that team in the mid two thousands that really took players under your wing. And even though Dunk had literally grown up in major league clubhouses, uh he he told me that you were one of the people that kind of showed him the ropes once he got to the major leagues. What sort of things would you try to do <laughs> for the for the kids?
3: Well, uh Chris liked to have fun. So did I. So we would uh we can maybe see each other out at night every once in a while uh, after the ball game was, you know, just trying to instill to these guys, you know, there's a, my whole, my word was, you know, you got to pick your spots, you know, when you go out and and have too much fun where you can't, uh, it may affect your play the next day. You got to pick your spots. And, uh, but always taking the kids to dinners and lunches and things like that. It's just something that was done to me when I was a young kid by the, John Franco's, the Bobby Bonilla's, the Brett Saberhagen's, and it's just something that we keep passing down from generation to generation. And then you hear like Adam Wayne right now. He was a rookie when I was there, and he's taking guys to dinners and things like that. It's just, it's nice to hear. It's nice to see. And just trying to keep these guys on the, um, trying to, mainly just when they're on the ball field, keeping them at their best is the main thing. So, there's a lot of distractions, and it's the same thing that we teach these kids today. You know, we just try to keep them
1: uh, as focused as we can. Uh, Izzy, before you joined us, Randy was telling a story that Dunk had shared on the radio about when he and Shelly were growing up how, when they were living near a golf course, they would put these basically invisible pins around the hole so when the golfer would go to put in you know his shot it would bounce off and it seemed like he was <laughs> such a prankster as a kid and you know as Randy just mentioned he has such reverence for the veterans on the team and kind of knew when to pick its spot so i wonder if he was a prankster in the clubhouse or if he was just kind of sitting back saying hey maybe this is not the time or place to do that
3: <laughs> yeah he was he didn't show his true killers in that spirit you know in the clubhouse he always knew uh where his place was i think that <laughs> you know, you have uh, two, eye, uh, two ears, one mouth for a reason. You listen twice as much as you talk. And uh, that was one thing about uh, the Duncans. Um, you know, when, when Dunk spoke, he wanted to listen. I and mean, when <laughs> Chris spoke, we always laughed. Uh, it was just, like I said, good to have him in the house. He, was, uh, he had some big moments. I think his first at bat was a home run. And to see Dunk's face, I mean, I love Dave Duncan, still do to this day, and to see the joy in his face. Pretty um, special have two sons in the big leagues, and um, you know Chris was a big part of those, some of the things that we did here in St. Louis, and it's you know and a lot of memories that we have with, is with Chris in the clubhouse for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say is he. It's important that we don't overlook his baseball talent because in 06... Tony has said it before. You guys probably don't win if Chris doesn't come up and hit those twenty home runs. He was, especially before he got hurt, he was a really good hitter.
3: He was a good hitter. I mean, people just forget that. I mean, yeah, he always makes fun of his outfield, and he may have looked like the Statue of Liberty out there at times, (laughs) taking fly balls. But he, uh, you know, he got the job done. He was scared to death for the ball to get hit to him. Um, But man, he he made it fun. He he gave you everything he had on everything. Every play, he was diving, running into the wall. It didn't matter. He he put himself – always put himself on the line for the team. And, uh, you know, when you wanted a big hit, that year he came up, he was getting those big hits, hitting big home runs. Uh, it was just a, fun to see.
1: Is we've all been sharing our personal favorite memories of Dunk today. Do you have one that when you think about him and, and your time as a teammate <laughs> with him that stands above the rest?
3: Oh, gosh. we've. I can still remember, like, times when we would win the uh, – if we want a big game or uh, a series, you know, you, you we had that. he would go into the uh, training room. You like to get away from the media and get away from the families and stuff. You go in the training room to kind of catch your breath. And he'd be, he'd be back there and he'd get in the hot tub. And he always called it the flipper. And he would do this thing where you would come out of the water and act like a fish out of water and flop around and things like that. <laughs> and he, he did that all the time. He would lay on the, like on the shower floor and do it there during, during, in the showers and things like that. But it's just craziness that he always did. And just, uh, like I said, I, I think about things now and I just start laughing and watching him come in certain times of the year and just, uh, his face, he's like, Oh man. And it just, it was, I don't know. I just, it's just a shame that he had to leave us so early. It's just, uh, Somebody who's really going to be missed. Somebody who really loved life and loved baseball.
0: Absolutely. Hey, Izzy, we want to ask you about uh, the Albert home run in Houston because yesterday, I don't know if you were watching MLB Network at all, but it was Albert Day, and last night they were showing the game where he hit the home run off of Lidge. You came in to close that game out. It was kind of anticlimactic after the home run. But what do you remember about that ninth inning?
3: Um, Well, I came in to pitch the eighth inning. Okay. And uh, I came in to pitch the eighth inning. We were down, you know, two runs. Um, sitting on the bench, uh, top of the ninth, down by two. Brad Lidge comes in. And, you know, that year, lights out Lidge. And got the first two guys out, striked out, uh, I think, Mabry and J-Rod, perhaps. Yep, that's right. And uh, so it was two down. I'm like, uh, well, you know, I already pitched the eighth. I I'm sitting on the bench, kind of. And, uh, you know, kind of let my mind go at ease. And all of a sudden, David Eckstein rolls that driller through the hole. And then Jimmy walks. And then I think it was the second pitch. Albert hit that home run. And we're all jumping around, screaming, screaming. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to go back out and pitch. If I, <laughs> if I screw this up now, I will never be able to walk around St. Louis ever again. <laughs> and I went out there and got about one, two, three, two balls to Albert, and then that ball, to right center that so tracked out, which I thought had a chance to go out in Houston. But uh, just that 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 mind thing where it's like, oh God, it totally eased, and all of a sudden you got to get back up again and get your mind right to go back out and pitch the ninth inning, knowing that if you screw it up, Things will never be the same in St. Louis for you, and uh, those days—those are the things that those are the things that I remember about baseball. Not the wins, the losses, just certain things like that. But yeah, that was—I think—that was a great thing they did yesterday for Albert. And uh, we had talked yesterday for some reason. I said, "Man, it takes more than one day to to go over everything that you did in baseball, but it's uh, very well deserved."
0: Hey, uh, did anybody ever get you like he got Lidge? Uh,
3: oh, I think Jeff Kerr. Hit a home run off on of me, a walk off uh, in Houston during
0: the playoffs. I'm talking about it to the train tracks, that that kind of home run. Oh, gosh. No, 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 no. Oh,
3: <laughs> not in Houston, but that's no, not. Uh, at the old Shea Stadium, um, when I first came up, uh, Ellis Burks hit one off the backdrop in center field, which was about 100 feet past the fence. Oh, man. And he hit the middle of that backdrop, and I've never <laughs> seen a ball hit that far in my life, at least at least off me. I mean, I always said if I'm going to give them up, I want to give them up long ones. I hate those little wall
2: scrapers. Mm-hmm.
3: But I think that was the longest one I'd ever given up. And uh, But if you give them up, why well, give up a cheap one? That's the way I look at <laughs> it. Exactly.
0: Izzy, you're the best. Thanks for coming on with us. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good morning. Talk to you soon. All right, we'll see you. That is the great Jason Isringhausen with us on one oh one ESPN. He's classic.
1: So, <laughs> I mean, he's Ellis right Bert. though. If you're if you're gonna give it up, you might yeah. as well let it go deep, right? <laughs> well, Not a wall scraper. Hey,
0: Breadledge is legendary. You know? We we know who gave that home run up. <laughs> yeah,
1: we do, but I don't know if that's how you really want to be remembered, <laughs> right, <don't> Randy? <laughs> Did I ever tell you that story when I was watching that game and watching that home run? I was in my sorority house in college watching the game and obviously being from St. Louis, I went to Illinois. Most of my girlfriends were from Chicago, Cubs fans. So, you know, and they didn't really care. They were really watching it because I wanted them to yeah. watch it. Uh, but we're sitting there, and Albert smashes that home run off off Brad Lidge. I'm going crazy, and one of my friends turns to me and she's like, "Oh, that's my cousin." I was, like, Lidge? Lidge. I was like, oh, I'm really sorry that I just <laughs> gloated your family's failure in your face. I'm really sorry about that's that. Great. So, yeah, I'll never forget that moment for me. But And I said, we've gotten to this point in this game and you didn't mention that he yeah, was really- somehow related to you. Anyway, <laughs> that's
0: good. That's a great memory coming up. uh, Chris Duncan's manager with the Cardinals, and uh, a guy who was kind of a surrogate father in Chris's younger days, uh, the Hall of Famer Tony Larusa is next on 101 ESPN. On this day that we celebrate the memory of Chris Duncan, what would have been his 39th birthday, Michelle and Randy go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and the Hall of Famer and one of our all-time favorites, Tony Larusa, is standing by. Skipper, great to have you with us. How you doing?
2: Well, I'm pleased that uh, Chris is being recognized because we need, we need to remember him for what he was.
0: Absolutely. Hey, before we get to Chris, last time we talked to you, you were kind of stuck in Arizona. You hadn't been able to make it back to California yet. Where are you as we speak to you this morning?
2: Stuck in Arizona. Oh man! You know, as long as uh, you know, California remains so uh, so locked down, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, there' in any way for me to up there and maneuver so i'm i'm here
1: uh tony earlier in the show randy and i were talking about the netflix show tiger king and it seems like during quarantine almost everyone has watched that and as an animal lover obviously it's it's based around animal sanctuaries and the mistreatment of animals i'm just curious if you watched it and if so what your takeaway was from tiger king
2: well michelle i wish i could say i did i've i've seen it advertised it's on my list to watch i have not yet but uh I am looking forward to it, and and I know it's getting very well received.
0: Tony, you watched Chris Duncan literally grow up around that Oakland clubhouse, and uh, I, I want to start there with he and Shelly, because he he talked about how those were such fond memories of him for him as a kid. What was it like for you as the manager of that team having Chris and Shelley running around that clubhouse?
2: Well, uh, you know, it actually starts with Dave and I. Signing a contract with the Kansas City A's, with one year apart, so we knew each other, you know, long before each of us were fathers uh, and husbands. So uh, to watch later on uh, both the guys, you know, you, you know, born and, and grow up, uh, especially as they got old enough to come to the clubhouse, uh, and every year you see them get you know taller and bigger, and uh, and it, you, they had that love of the game. I mean they. You know, a lot of it, they had uh, Janine's personality and, and, and Dunk's toughness and uh, intelligence about you know, wanting to learn the game right. But, you know, just watching her progress and, uh, and then, you know, into in a pro career, was, uh, you know, it was fun to watch. It was like, uh, you know, I always felt I was her uncle.
1: Well, then, was that difficult for you in a way when he became a member of your team? Because we know that baseball is a business and sometimes tough decisions have to be made. But was it difficult for you to sometimes ha- have to put Chris in that category, knowing the relationship that you've had with him?
2: That's a really good question, because the, uh, the honest answer is we treated everybody in uniform as part of our family. So really, it was nothing that distinguished you know, uh, Chris, uh, Chris from Skip Schumacher, for example, because family was family. uh, And the other thing, you—it is absolutely essential, you know, uh, there are two things and and you have to do them together. One is you have to build close relationships. That's what family is about. But if if you're the manager or if you're the father, then you cannot shirk your responsibility to make a tough decision or have a tough conversation. So uh, it was... Chris was just part of the family and uh it's just that you know there's a special warm uh enjoyment, especially to see Dave just really, really enjoy watching his son there at the Big League level.
0: Tony, when uh, when they were youngsters, when they were uh, teenagers going out and catching fly balls after games at the Oakland Coliseum, uh, Duncan told us about how rambunctious he and Shelley were. Is that something that you witnessed, or were you in your office just kind of shielded away from the, the rambunctiousness of those two kids?
2: Well, yeah, no, I wasn't shielded that way. It was that, uh, because it was obvious. And the thing, too, you know, Oakland had an amazing cast of characters that encouraged the boys, you know, to act up and and show themselves. They were, you know, they were prompting them to, uh, you know, to get into things and be a part (laughs) of just about everything we did, whether it's in the clubhouse or on the field. Uh, So uh, you could see. But the other thing, and, uh, you know, I I saw that with McGuire's kids later on, uh, the respect and the love, because if they ever – got to where they got on the wrong side of the line, they would either just clear his throat or say, Hey, that's enough and instantly, you know, it was it was over. I mean, it was a, a beautiful thing to see.
1: Tony, we know that Chris took his craft very seriously, whether it was baseball or broadcasting as a second career, and that he prepared. We know all of these serious things about him, but I think whenever we speak to people about Chris and what they remember about him, the first thing they talk about is his personality, a sense of humor, and how he would lighten up every room that he walked in. So when you think about that and how funny he was, is there maybe one story that you can share with us that when you think about Chris Duncan just makes you laugh?
2: Well... Uh you know it's interesting because you know he came up as you know and his written their rookie season 2006 under some very difficult circumstances because uh we were hurting needed his production and we played him in the outfield which wasn't his position uh and he didn't you know he in the when around his teammates that uh you know he got to know you know he he let out he let it go but he was a very serious Competitor there, and very much into the competition. And in the next two years, as you know, you know he had a sports hernia and a neck issue. So uh, it wasn't really till till he retired that he got on radio that you you had a chance to see the personality and the sense of humor. Uh, and it's something that we all regret because I mean I, I'm I think about it to this day. You know, it's it's so sad because uh, before he would he could have got into radio after a, a 12, 15-year career. I mean, this man, what he did in 06 with the barest of experiences was what he would have done and gotten better and better. You know, a, a true power hitter that hit for a reasonable average, a tough competitor, and every place in the minor leagues as he grew up with Shu and Yadi and those guys, he was one of the team leaders because he was into the competition and he was into closeness. So, uh, Chris... You know I hate to to harbor on but I think about it often you know we we missed a lot with the injuries because even before he had to retire and, and he had the uh, the health issue uh, the last two years that he was actually in uniform with us and the injuries robbed him of of, of what he could have been as a productive player he could have been a star
0: the Cardinal Hall of Fame manager Tony Larusa is with us on 101 ESPN, and Tony, uh, I was mentioning this. We talked to David Eckstein earlier, and when he was hurt during that uh, 2007 season, late in the season, I had a long conversation with him about what he was going through, and he he had such a great baseball mind, and uh, he he was so well spoken. And I said, "Why don't you talk to the media much?" And I know you'll appreciate this. He said, "That's not my place." And here he was in a lo- locker room <laughs> with with uh, Albert and Roland and, and Yadi, he, he said, hey, the, the, this is the veterans' room. This, this is their place to talk to the media. It's not my place to talk to the media. That's just a great example of the respect that he had for baseball.
2: No, you're right. You're, you're right. Uh, uh, it's just very typical of David, you know, a very proud man, uh, very responsible, accountable kind of player. I mean, it, it, but he just come. You know, he was a 2002 world champion. So, I mean, he came in our in our clubhouse with a lot of credentials, a lot of respect. But it wasn't uh, his nature. But you know, you know, like Michelle asked her favorite story. My very favorite story was the first year that we got into the playoffs with him, and uh, it happened. Uh, we earned our spot playing in Cincinnati. That's when we got the, you know, we got the number down to zero and it coincided with Bill DeWitt's home. So they arranged, Bill arranged over at Morton's, which was right next to the hotel, a team dinner. And as we sat there, and we had all the Star which In fact, Reggie Sanders became the master of ceremonies, went around the room, talked, made, made sure everybody spoke about what this meant to them to you know, play on a, a division champion and, and the possibilities of going forward. When David it was his turn. Uh, In fact, uh, Ray said, you got to stand on a chair, which everybody laughed at. (laughs) Uh, But his, his speech, it was what it turned out to be. He spoke about four or five minutes and it was just so uh, motivating about what was ahead of us and, and how we had to embrace the moment and the toughness that we had to show to, to go forward. I mean, It's my favorite David Eckstein story because it shows you, you know, inside that heart, uh, he had like, he had a secretariat kind of size heart. In that side, there was a brain and guts and and heart and uh, competitiveness that uh, we all should try to emulate.
1: Tony, yesterday MLB Network had Albert Pujols Day where they played a lot of the great games that he experienced and a lot of the great Albert Pujols moments. So as somebody that had a front row seat to almost all of it, if you were to be in charge of MLB Network and you were making the lineup with the great Albert Pujols games or the great Albert Pujols moments, what's one game or moment that you think absolutely had to be shown?
2: Boy, uh yeah, I, w- I was thinking, because, you know, I got interviewed for that thing. Uh, I was thinking that over the 11 years, you would have a laundry, a long laundry list of, of moments like that. And how do you pick the ones that are the best? I thought they did a good job because, obviously, the, the great uh, competition with the uh, with the Cubs and the uh, the day he hit the three home runs, in fact, you know, a lot of our baseball guys called me and said, hey, was, was it really a hit-and-run? I said, yeah, it was a hit-and-run. You know, home run right field. I, mean, I, I would loved to play hit-and-run. He's a team guy. But the back-to-back home runs to win. I, there was one, though, that, uh, that, that that's kind of got lost in the shuffle, and it became very important in 2006 because we got in and we won. But, you know, we struggled there at the end. We had the injuries that brought us back to the pack, and we were limping at the end. And, uh, you know, we had gotten to where we only had like a, like a game lead or something in San Diego came in, and we were behind the game. And they had, I forget the, the guy's name, he was a right-hand, kind of a side-wheeler with a real good sinker. And now we're here, a three-run homer in the eighth inning to take us from behind, to put us ahead. And uh, when you think of how precious every one of those wins were, And the fact that we got in the last day, I think that three-run homer and what it turned out to be as far as getting us into the playoffs and winning a World Series, that would be one I would put on the list.
1: We always sit here about Albert Pujols and, you know, Randy and I were talking about him yesterday saying whenever he came to the plate, you felt like he could do something great and he would do something great. As a fan, as a media member, we always felt that. Did you feel that same way as his manager? Because I know you have to couch things and be pragmatic, but did you have that same feeling as his manager?
2: Oh, absolutely. But the thing that you learn, and we learned it really as a rookie, but he did it. He never really um, embraced his stardom in the sense that it changed him. It just made him hungrier and better because he was more experienced. But the thing, one reason I enjoyed it so much, and this is something that I think Cardinal fans got to appreciate because of their knowledge of the game. And I mentioned it on that interview. You know, the way you teach the game at that time and the way you should still teach it now is that you play the scoreboard. The scoreboard dictates what you what you what your responsibility is when you go to the go to the plate, and Albert played the scoreboard, so it was a wonderful, beautiful thing to just watch him be aware. And you know, we even have conversations. He's always learning. He says, "Well, do you? I was thinking this. What do you think?" And I know he had it with the hitting coaches. Same thing when he played defense or base running. Uh, but the the fact that he was so committed to being a complete player, a complete winning player and teammate. And my absolute probably favorite uh, comment about him, and and people could see it, he could be 0 for 4 in a tie game, and he's on the top step cheering when he's in the dugout. He was totally into the winning. He wasn't moping in the corner. It's not my day. Uh, I mean, he's perfect. you You can't make him any better than he was and is.
0: Hey, Tony, before we let you go, we know that you are about winning. Here you are now, nine years removed from that last game that you managed, the 2011 Cardinals World Championship. As you reflect now, what sticks with you more, those wins or the tough losses? What do you remember and think about more?
2: Well, the definition is correct, that you suffer the losses more than you enjoy the wins. So um, I think you have to work hard to, and I do, to remember, you know, the, the wonderful winning moments. That's one of the neat things about, right, is if there is a neat thing about this isolation period. You know, you take walks, and you fill your mind with memories. Uh, the losses are the ones that you know. You, if you if you lose a tough game, especially if you think you had a decision that you didn't pull the right trigger on, uh, you know, you could I mean you literally walk the streets for hours because you couldn't sleep. But I tell you, Randy, there's another part. Even more important, the wins and losses of the relationships. And I've learned, you know, the family-type situation, Chicago, and St. Louis, the payback for all of us, every one of the members of the team among themselves and with the coaches, the trainers, and, and the manager uh, is by far the most important part of that career.
0: Well, we're so thrilled that we have the relationship with you. We love you, and we thank you for coming on. Continue to be safe, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk again soon. Look forward to it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Tony. That's the great Hall of Famer, Tony La with us with Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Next up, we want to hear from you, your favorite Chris Duncan memories. You can use the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 or leave us a mic drop. You're next on 101 ESPN. All right, we want to hear from you, Carriker and Smallman, on 101 ESPN. It's Cinco de Mayo, which is also the birthday of the great Chris Duncan. And let's get one uh, mic drop, a Rhino Shield mic drop, with the 101 ESPN app. This is Joshua.
3: So as it turns out, Dunk is actually the reason that I started listening to 101. You know, living away from St. Louis, I was craving anything Cardinals baseball talk. And I stumbled upon this uh, podcast, Redbird Rejects. From there, I followed him on over to 101 and, and haven't stopped listening since. You know, I can still hear him saying, write that down, Dan. Write that down.
1: Miss you, <laughs> <dunk.">
0: <laughs> That was one of the classics, yeah. If he made a prediction, write that down, Write Dan. that
1: down. Gosh. And, you know, he, he would give so many people nicknames. Like, didn't he give Dan Betlock Danny Pants he did. the nickname Danny Pants? Yeah. And then we call him Pants. And, you know, then years go by and you're, he's just Pants. And that comes from Dunk. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the the Dunctionary available now, by the way, at 101ESPN.com. And all the proceeds will go to the Chris Duncan Scholarship Fund. And a lot of the great phrases that Chris used over the years are available on the T-shirt, the Dunctionary T-shirt. Let's get a mic drop from Ashley.
3: Duncan told a story once about fireworks going off underneath his bed and he ran straight into a wall and I was driving
2: and I almost drove my car off the road. I was so dead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He, there, there were so many things that happened for Chris over the years and he was, he had such a great storytelling ability for all of those things that we went through. Uh, Here's one uh, text from the 636. Dunk is why I started listening to this station. Dial never changes. RIP, Dunk. And he was a, a radio star. And the amazing thing was, Michelle, is how he became more than just a baseball guy. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, he started here doing St. Louis baseball tonight. But when he started doing the fast lane he would ask people, how do you watch every single game? And he'd say, well, you can't watch every single game. But he right. tried to. He, he had five TVs in his basement. He was literally looking around, taking notes, trying to watch every single game because he wanted to work as hard as he could and be perfect. And I told him, I said, look, you're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be able to see everything. So watch the Cardinals and make sure that you know exactly what happened in that game, which he was going to do anyway. Sure. And then if you have knowledge of just knowledge of the big things that happened in every other game you don't have to know the minutia of every other game and I think that helped him out a little bit that he didn't have to learn what happened in the bottom of the third of the Dodgers Padres game last night
1: which probably put his mind at ease because he would have stayed up all night watching those games But, Brandy, I want to ask you, you and I have worked with a lot of athletes, and oftentimes athletes, when they come into the media, they have a wealth of knowledge and they have a big personality and they tend to lean on that. They don't feel like they need to watch all the games or prepare in the same way that you or I might, because we don't have those inside the locker room, in-game experiences to lean on. And whether it's Chris Duncan or Brad Thompson, it seems like people that we have worked with or that have been in the broadcast industry from the Tony Larusa, Dave Duncan Cardinals tree come with that determination, that preparation, that foot on the gas 100%. And I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but now that I'm kind of reflecting on it, thinking about the way Dunk approached this career and the way Brad continues to approach this career, that's kind of a rare thing.
0: Chris was one of those guys who just had a thirst to learn, but he wanted to be completely prepared. And I believe he got that from his dad. But as you uh, worked with him number 1 he was the first guy in and whoever the producer was he wanted we we have what's called a rundown for our show and he wanted that rundown as early as he could get it so that he could review the show and basically have an idea of everything that was going to happen he wanted to know what was going to happen before it happened and so much of this is so organic and i think that's one of the things that i was hopefully able to get out of him is that uh, Uh, I didn't require him to rehearse. We were just having a conversation. And I think he felt more comfortable with that, with me, once we got going. Because I think right off the bat, he was so focused on the rundown, like it was a show Mm -hmm. rather than a conversation. I, I think he loosened up a little bit.
1: Well, when you come from an environment that preaches preparation and being ready to go no matter what the scenario for years and years and years of your career and then you're thrown into a situation that's like, hey, let's just talk. let's just right. have a have a conversation or the fact that he was able to adapt to that so quickly is really a testament to him.
0: And this is if you're a radio person that passes away, this is exactly what you want people to write. And this is from the 618. RK and Michelle, I was in Cocoa Beach, Florida, when I got the news about Dunk. I immediately broke down in tears because he had that effect on people. I felt like I lost a good friend. So I grabbed a bucket of buds from the bar, went to the beach, and had a few in his honor. That's exactly... What we're striving to do in radio is have you become our friend and accomplish that with so many listeners is a testament to a what he became as a broadcaster, but B, most importantly, what he was as a guy.
1: The effect he had on people. And, you know, as someone that did know him, I kind of had the exact same response to the fact that someone felt like they knew him that well. And you know what? They didn't feel like they knew him that well. They did know him that well. Because Dunk also had the ability to be completely genuine to who he was, completely transparent about who he was. He he never put on a front. He just was organically him. And so that's why I think so many people, without ever having met him, felt so connected to
0: And uh, we're going to wrap up this segment. We just got a text, and somebody said this was the best mistake ever by Dunk. Great stuff, JR. Love having you on. We'll talk to you again uh, on Thursday. Okay. Talk to you later. That's Jeremy Rutherford See of the Post-Dispatch.
2: Hopefully we take out the Buffaloes. <laughs> 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 the
0: Buffaloes. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, but you, you I can't stop laughing. <laughs> you gotta send me over that book, Chair. <laughs> you better FedEx that thing over now.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, okay.
0: Buffalo's. Uh, he called the Buffalo Sabres the Buffalo Buffaloes.
1: But aren't they the now they are the Buffalo they Buffaloes in, in the area In
0: our mind, they're the Buffalo <laughs> Buffaloes. It is character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we'll have a quick today's big thing that is coming your way on Caricer and Smallman.